Perverts, queer conspirators and trans daydreamers. Welcome to the Perverts Podcast. Tonight we'll be uncovering perversions and persuasions of times gone by and mulling these over with our historian and a couple of friends from the queer scene here in Manchester. I've asked them to select a perverted item of interest to them and join me at the New Union Hotel to chat this through and share a brand new cabaret piece especially created in response to the artefact for your ears only. Tonight I'm chatting with poet Jay Mitra about a multifunction massager. So the attachments are reddish, I guess, and look very well used. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah, it's apparently a massager. (laughs) But I mean, Looking at the attachments, it could also very well be a vibrator. We talk about letting go of shame as a practice, Christian sex toys and queer poetry. This is the Perverts Podcast. Now the history of normal people's really nice and ever But let's chat about something a bit more interesting. Hello world, here I am. I'm a bouncy little lamb. And I say bam, yes, I'm a pervert. You say I'm tossed and apart like a pickle in your jam. And I say bam, yes, I'm a pervert. And I got queer city joy packed in every new ground. And I say bam, 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 yes, I'm a pervert. It's the Pervert Podcast. I am artist, writer and director Leo Skilbeck and co-founder of queer performance company Milk Presents. I'm fascinated by what has been considered perverted throughout history and why. If you want to know more about me, Milk and the ins and outs of why we made this show, then check out episode zero. But for now, let's slip into something a little more comfortable and make our way to the new Union Hotel. One hundred and sixty years old, thereabouts, holding secrets and hands. Spend a pound or a night with a new friend or a lover. Wonky beams and beaming smiles, welcoming you inside from the cobbles of Canal Street. Perverts, friends, lovers and trans revolutionaries, welcome out of the cold and through these doors into the bosom of the new Union Hotel. (laughs) This was built around 1865 and the new Union Hotel was one of the first ever queer establishments in Manchester. It's potentially 1865, I have also read 1860 or 1861, but thereabouts. Um, And in the 1950s, the owner actually went to prison for running a public house of ill repute that was here. So, well done there. Um, My name is Leo, my pronouns are they and he, and I'm your host, your guide, as we journey through this perverted terrain this evening. I am a white person with short brown hair and a nose ring. I'm wearing a sheer black tank top that is cut at the navel with a fluttering frill and uh, black trousers and black Doc Martens. 
Tonight I'm joined by queer connoisseur Campbell X. Campbell is a writer-director and alongside two feature films, Stood Life and Lowrider, was one of the writers at the Royal Court for their My White Best Friend theatre series. His latest film, Still We Thrive, about black joy and resistance, is now screening globally at film festivals. Campbell, it's always such a pleasure to chat with you. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. A pleasure to be here too. And Campbell, can you let us know what are you wearing tonight? <clears throat> I am wearing a hat, which is grey. I am a person of African descent. Uh, I've got a black shirt with uh, sparkly cufflinks. And I've got a waistcoat and some sort of Buddha beads. And I've got grey jeans, multicoloured argyle socks and brown scruffy shoes. Gorgeous, thank, thank you. you. And I use he, him, which I think I didn't say. And he, him pronouns, got he, it. Thank you. That's right. Um, and our guest for this evening is non-binary punk poet, multi-UK slam champion, Jay Mitra. <laughs> Now, Jay has been featured on BBC Radio 6. They have performed in a variety of festivals, including BBC Contained Strong Language, Manchester Pride and Secret Garden Party, to name just a few. Jay is studying English literature at the University of Manchester and working as a freelance poetry facilitator for the Poetry Society. All right, Jay, welcome. Welcome. Hello. And very impressive. And Jay, please could you share with us, what are you wearing tonight? Yes, so I'm Jay. I'm a brown, non-binary, trans person. I use they or he pronouns. And I am wearing a white shirt with some kind of flowery embroidery, uh, a red tie, a long black leather jacket, blue jeans, and just some black trainers. Love it, thank you. Now, obviously, we are here on Canal Street, but Manchester's queer scene spreads way beyond this street. Where do you find queerness in Manchester? Mainly poetry open mics, to be honest. Um, Literally, the last poetry open mic I went to, a girl came out as bi, I think, so she used that as her coming out, which was amazing. Yeah, pretty much every open mic or poetry event I go to, every poet seems to be gay or trans <laughs> yeah. or, you know, just just part of the queer community. Um, and that's where I meet people mainly who are part of the same community as me because I don't go clubbing as much anymore. So I got diagnosed with lupus and then that means I get tired very easily. So unfortunately, I can't go out to nightclubs all the time. So I meet queer people in kind of like day-to-day events as opposed to like nightlife so yeah how about like online or digitally do you meet people yeah so this is kind of embarrassing but no no embarrassment here i've met quite a few queer people through bumble bff Mm -hmm. which is like the friend version of bumble my best friend actually i met through bumble bff and yeah they're also queer so yeah, it's, it's weird. I just tend to gravitate towards queer people mm-hmm. and I just meet people daily and I'm like, are you queer? And then they're like, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's embarrassing. I think that's fab, like, that you can use this app that is conventionally made for dating to find each other, find, find queer people. It's so hard, like, especially, yeah, in big cities, like, you're like, queers, where are you? Where are you? And, like, if you can do it for an app, like, amazing. 
And can you tell us, you mentioned to me about a goth club called Spiders. Yeah, so if you're you're from Hull, which is where I I grew up in, uh, there's this goth club that's been around since the 80s called Spiders Nightclub. And I used to go there all the time. And they were very lenient about who they let in. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I went there quite young, I I could say. And it was just, they they used to play Motown and, like, pop punk downstairs and, like, metal. There was a cage. Metalheads went in. And I didn't really go down there. But, yeah, there was quite a lot of queer people that went to Spiders. And people were very expressive about their sexuality in Spiders. There was, like, I remember being quite young and seeing, like, 40-year-old guys in, like, BDSM gear just walking around. And it was just, like, it was very normal. And I think that was when I was first sort of exposed to, like, nightlife and queerness being intertwined in one, so... Yeah, totally. And I actually think that the new union should get a cage downstairs (laughs) as well. Um, um, And... Campbell, you, yes. you sometimes talk about. I feel like I'm always banging on about queer space yeah. and like all oh, these queer spaces, and you're like, mm, no, why don't we queer the spaces that we go in rather than you know continue returning to these pre-made spaces? Do you have any thoughts on that? Can you or could you talk us through that idea? Well, I've often met my lovers in on queer spaces. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, and, and I had to reflect on that. What was it that I was doing? And, you know, I think queering, queering spaces returns us back to ourselves and our sensitivities and reading body language, seeing in the room who's relating to you in a beyond platonic way. Mm-hmm. So people will, like, if you're in a queer space, you can not worry about that. But then when you're in an on-queer space, you can think, there are queers here, I'm going to sniff them out. <laughs> and that's, that's what I like, to, to find us amongst places that are surprising. Mm. And I think there is power in us reclaiming spaces because we don't know on what hallowed ground and the energy of, of, of buildings. There might have been queer spaces, mm-hmm. there might have been prisons where loads of queer people were, you know, because they were imprisoned. And so it's kind of reclaiming architecture for us. We, we belong everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I really firmly believe that. And we have to take up the spaces. And I feel that also as a black person because my ancestors built this shit along with white working-class people. So, you know, in Manchester with the Industrial Revolution, you know, London, you know, Bristol, Cardiff, all with the slave trade. So it's like thinking we belong everywhere. We should, we should claim it for ourselves. And we pay taxes. Well, some of us do. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, so everything belongs to us. Totally, and like this, you know, we're opposite the Rochdale Canal, which links to Liverpool. All of the area around here is old industrial factories. This very pub was built to serve the people who worked in the factories. Like, we're so close, touching distance to that history. So, yeah, near to us, even on this literal stage, in this literal bar. I mean, even the 
The windows, when I looked into it, you know, the new union, that the union is the Commonwealth. And so, like, already we're here, like, hey, we're in the new union, this queer space. And it's, we're so close to, to slavery, you know. And like, so then Colonization, they. Colonization. Yeah, yeah. And so then they renamed it the new union. But, but like, okay, you changed the name of your pub, sure. But, like, you know, it's, it's, we're here on Canal Street and it's a very queer space, but. Yeah, so in touching distance with, with that history. And I really love what you're saying about, you know, when we're walking down the street, we don't know whether queer people have been here. You know, it's like maybe we're walking to, to a queer space or maybe there's something really powerful in queering the spaces that you go to. And also queer people might have fucked in the street around the corner mm-hmm. back in yeah. the day. Do you know, they have, so <laughs> But that is... Kate is now waving. (laughs) But that we have to not desexualize ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know. A lot of sex workers were and are still queer. So it's it's like not to feel shame about who we were and to just claim everything Mm -hmm. that we are in order to liberate ourselves from, quote-unquote, respectability politics. So I'm just going to say that sentence again because it was really great. What just can you say it? So what is it? Claiming, Shit. freeing ourselves from. <laughs> it was so great though. It was like freeing ourselves from, like from shame ultimately, yeah, from and shame. from respectability politics. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot about perversion. Mm-hmm. Um, how to be our authentic selves as queer people, as LGBTQ people, we're often labelled as perverts to extrude the guilt from people who are not. So they project Mm. onto us their fantasies. Mm. They say more about themselves, actually, who they they are, and we have to carry the weight of their imagination and fantasy and feel shame because Mm. of what they project onto us. And, you know, my life is about not feeling ashamed of who I am, my fantasies, my sexuality, my sex life. And I know that's a lifetime work. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing you said about transition and being a journey, there's no end. And I think the same about not being ashamed. You know, it's to me, it's a lifetime work. So it's almost like um, a practice, kind of like a, a practice of getting rid of shame in a way yeah, yeah. through yeah. fucking yeah. masturbating mm-hmm. fantasizing but also loving creating mm-hmm. community of care as well to not be ashamed to love ourselves as friends as platonic relationships mm-hmm. too because that's downplayed you know um the the kind of kinship that queer people have is beyond what a lot of cis-normative heterosexual people have because our kin is often people we've fucked in the past that we are now very close friends with, you know, or there's a spectrum of desire that we don't acknowledge because we are made to be ashamed of it because cis-normativity is about, no, you fall in love, you marry, you have children to the one person and then you cheat on them and then you get divorced. Do it that way. Oh, it's polyamory. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I love the of cis-normativity. <laughs> cis-normativity, everybody. You should do a camera Yeah, I should do a little part <laughs> yeah. cis-normativity. All right, shall we meet the star of the show? Mm. Okay, I'm going to pass over a box now and then maybe, Jay, you can describe it for us. Okay. 
What does it look like and feel like? Okay, so I have a contraption in front of me that is it's fairly heavy, actually. It's got a few attachments to it, which I'm guessing are made of silicone. So the attachments are reddish, I guess, and they look very well used. <laughs> um, yeah, it's apparently a massager. <laughs> but, I mean, looking at the attachments, they could also, it could also very well be a vibrator, so... <laughs> And it came with this very handy booklet, and I wondered if you would just read to us the opening of the booklet. Massage is good for you. Massage is traced to its root is an instinct inherent in human beings before and continuing into the conscious years. If we bark at a shin, we reach to rub and ease the pain. We massage pins and needles. We rub hands numbed with cold, aching foreheads, tense necks. We brush hair and rub in 90% of our creams and lotions. Why? (laughs) Because the body knows its needs. By massage, the blood is caused to flow more freely. Swellings are taken down. Waste matter is eliminated. Pain ebbs, nerves quieten. Beauty awakes. Thank you. Round of applause, please. Like, they're really working hard to convince us that this is a massager. I personally really enjoyed the bit that said, hands can't do it. Hands alone, however skilled, cannot vibrate. (laughs) That's on page eight, if anyone wants to look. Um, An electric massager can produce continued, regular, activating impulses. It's basically erotic fiction right here. Um, and what was it that drew you to this? Um, I like suggested a few different things and you picked this one. Why, why this? Why did you think hmm, this is uh, interesting to me or why this one? Just how hard it was trying to convince us that it was definitely a massager. <laughs> yeah, and I was just thinking about that light bulb moment someone must have had when they've picked it up thinking, oh, it's a massager and then realising what else it could be used for. So, yeah, that was quite interesting to think about. And so it's very, very intent to specify everything it can do in every area you can use it. I have actually got a little list here Mm -hmm. um, of all the things that it can do. Okay, so it can treat insomnia, tension, flatulence, colds. Just picture this as, as I'm saying this. Congestion, constipation period pains, backache, tension, stiff and strained muscles, aching feet, sprains, cramp, stiff fingers, (laughs) stiff neck, shoulder tension, lumbago, arthritis, lines and wrinkles, home facial, double chin, colds, congestion, loss of voice, fibrosis of scalp muscles, headache, dandruff, sinuses, and falling hair. It is, it is a wonder, an absolute wonder. So, Campbell, my understanding... When, you're like, no, don't ask me. It's like, you know loads. You know the thing is, though, you'll be like, no, no, and then you'll say something like absolutely mind-blowing. Um, so I, when I was looking into this, I always thought that vibrators were invented by Victorian doctors 
because their fingers were tired from massaging vulvas to treat hysteria. This is what I was like, okay, this is what's happening. And then I learned that actually this was not the case at all and that the first one was patented by British doctor Joseph Mortimer Granville in 1880s and it was actually invented as a massager for men, not for sexual pleasure, but for aches and pains. Like, do you... Is that surprising to you? Do you believe that? <laughs> <clears throat> I never believe anything. Um, I think possibly it was for men because it was seen as modern and technical and technology mm. and you had to turn a switch on and, you know, quite frankly, women cannot turn switches on, <laughs> you know. So joking aside, I think... It's modernism, isn't it? It's machinery, equipment, and people think, oh, men will like that. You know, they won't like something that's touchy-feely in a way. But when they become sexual things, the emphasis on women's sexuality mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and not men's sexuality, because I'm quite interested in men's sexuality, And I've read that a lot of them were used for anal stimulation as well. Took your hemorrhoids, not what you're thinking. <laughs> Come on. So, you know, it's very interesting to me. It's like, how did people know to eat mushrooms? Some people must have died. So I'm not saying people died for this, but how did, how did people then go, ooh, I'll massage my dick or anus or clitoris. I'm always, you know, kind of curious about how objects become sexual things, like washing machines or not the entire washing machine, <laughs> <laughs> the vibrating machine, mm. you know, or brushes. Mm. That's a whole trope in pornography. Google it, you'll find it. <laughs> so, um, do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. It, it just fascinates me. Why, like, why a brush and not something else? Like, why do things become the thing? I'm fascinated by that. Humans it, are incredible. It, it reminds me of um, the kink blink. Yes. Okay, so, like, uh, defined as the insanely short length of time between an introduction of a new technology and its adaption for sexual purposes. <laughs> And that's Kate Lister that wrote that. And I think, like, yeah, the kink blink, sure. Like, that's so true. Yes. Um, like your phone. Oh, yeah? Like your phone. Uh-huh. You can get an app. And this app, everybody's looking really curious. <laughs> You're pretending you don't know. <laughs> Some of you have probably used this, haven't mm. you? An app that can control a vibrator inside somebody else. The kink blink. Technology is, is on your side. And we were thinking before about like de like the desexualizing of sexual things and the sexualizing of non-sexual things. Can you chat a little bit about that? What do you mean by that? Like Oh yeah. Um Well that yeah. was obviously really not to massage your shoulders. They had mm. to so much morality about sex that they had to desexualize it in order to sell it. Mm -hmm. And apparently it only became sexualized when it was used in pornography. And then people were like, oh my God, it's been used for sex. They knew it all along. <laughs> 
But now the cat was out the bag. They were like, nah, we can't, we can't have it anymore. So, you know, a lot of these things are cloaked in, in respectable language. A lot of sex education is cloaked in that language as well. It's not around pleasure, it's around mechanics. So as long as you do that, you're okay. But the minute you speak about pleasure, and that's what... If you look at the little heads, you know, that is not what it says it is. Um, and you, they used to apply little dildos to them as well that you could buy. So the minute you do that, people start to freak out because sexual pleasure is the taboo. It's not, you know, sex or reproduction, that's okay, as long as it lasts for three minutes and then, you know, it's all good. It's all good. But the minute it's prolonged and just for pleasure, um, there seems to be, in, in, in our culture anyway, um, a taboo around that. I mean, one of the fastest growing subsets of the vibrator market is to Christians. Christianity. So the couples wanting to use vibrators, but in a way that is, I don't know. God-fearing. God-fearing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, it's wild. I feel like that's such a, like, gymnastics of the brain to be like, we want to do this thing, but we don't want to, so we're going to get it blessed, but also that's a massive, like, growing market. <laughs> I feel like that's, like, mental gymnastics. It is, but sometimes I wonder if something, that the taboo-ness of something makes it hot. Mm -hmm. So maybe Christians are having a hot time created by the hell of their imaginations. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Think about it. And so maybe... Maybe we should return to a time... I don't know. <laughs> but also, like, drawing the times when vibrators were being first used and, you know, for to treat hysteria, quote-unquote, like, female orgasms were seen as dangerous, except if they were between men and women. So, like, husband and wife, they were not seen as dangerous, they were seen as natural, but then anything outside of that was dangerous. So it just seems to come back to... I feel like we're never going to get out of that idea. Yeah, and I think... Um, the sad thing is, even within marriage, there wasn't an expectation of women to have sexual pleasure. And weirdly enough, it's just come to my mind that the um, Equal Marriage Act provided a conundrum to these cisnormative heteropatriarchal people because the definition of consummation of marriage was penis in vagina with the man coming. So if there was cheating, mm -hmm. it couldn't happen with same sex because there was something different going on. So the obsession with PIV intercourse as the sine qua non, only form of sexuality, but with the pleasure of the man, has to be broken. And we know the statistics for cishet women with cishet men isn't great around orgasms, yeah? Still in 2022. Yeah. You can Google it and find it. And I find it really mm. shocking and disturbing. So we don't have to go back far to Victorian times to find out about women's pleasure. Mm. And the word hysteria comes, as you know, from the womb. And it was thought that women who liked sex were hysterical. And, you know, in Europe there was an operation that was done on women to remove their clitorises so they could not feel sexual pleasure, so they would not be hysterical. So it was like, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. 
Uh, the practice was till mid-20th century in America. So this isn't something that's for people out there. This was in our own, quote-unquote, Western, quote-unquote, civilization, civilized culture, in which, you know, women's sexuality or people with clitorises, let's say, but it was for cis-set women, really, is always contentious and contended. And so how about, like, for trans people? I don't know, what do you feel about the sex toy industry, like, now? Do you think that it is effectively designing for trans bodies and trans people? I mean, not necessarily. I feel like still a lot of sex toys are marketed to, like, a cis-het audience. Um, So, yeah, I think we've still got a bit of a way to go in terms of... um, designing sex toys that would be suited to a trans body and affirming as well for trans people. Because a lot of the times, the sex toys that trans people use, they are aimed at a cis body. So it can be quite dysphoric sometimes to use them if you want to pleasure yourself. So, yeah, I think there's still a long way to go for trans sex toys. And also being very focused on genitalia, I guess, rather than... Whole, whole body? Yeah. Yeah, but I also think sexual pleasure and sexual fantasy is about being beyond the body in a way. It's about imagination. And sometimes the cis-trans divide doesn't help us in liberating everybody mm. from the body and to live in a world of fantasy, live in a world that's free to be who you want to be sexually, So whether you're cis or you're trans or you're lesbian, gay, bisexual, pansexual, even asexual or agender, you can exist with somebody that you trust or somebody's in a way that no longer looks at your physical form but reads your energy and enjoys an energetic exchange that's without judgment and, you know, obviously consensual. So it's something... I'd like to see more in the discourse because I think, you know, so-called trans people do have sexual relations with so-called cis people and non-binary. So how do we move beyond that to really come together in trust and care beyond the idea of genitalia as being the only focus of sexuality and desire? You know, looking at the body as a whole, enjoying your whole body... Um, and also, you know, to put on top of that, not everybody's able-bodied. So a lot of the toys assume able-bodiedness, assume everybody can grip with the same strength, assume a lot about people's bodies. And we will get there because people will demand, because there's shame also about being um, disabled and craving sexual pleasure. You know, it's, it's very recent now that's become part of discourse so the more we demand things I think the more it will change. I really love what you're saying about almost like what is it to take gender out of gender (laughs) but what is it to take gender out of transness and cisness and sex and actually just be like okay well what's their energy what is you know how you relate to each other actually just take out gender if we can (laughs) dismantle it. Okay Matthew, one final question here. Jay, can you tell us, um, before you go on to do your cabaret act, about a couple of poets that inspired you 
when you began to do a little thinking around this? Yeah, so my art is a spoken word piece put to music that sounds like a vibrator. Love um, it, love it. <laughs> but I was doing some research about poets that kind of talked a little bit about sex toys and masturbation. And one that came up was the queer poet called Ocean Vuyung. And they have a poem called Ode to Masturbation. And it's on YouTube. I recommend you watch it. And there's another like trans queer poet that I often go back to. And they're called Denez Smith. And Denez's delivery is just so powerful and invigorating. And they talk very openly about some of the harsh realities of being queer. So one of the lines in one of Denez's poems is, waiting for you to die so I can be myself, where they talk a little bit about the relationship that they had with their family after coming out as trans. And it really resonated with me. And I think a lot of great poets are queer. So, yeah, I think I always get drawn to queer poetry in particular. I think there's a whole other level of vulnerability that happens in queer poetry, especially when literature tends to be very focused on, like, the cis white male gaze, I guess. So Why yeah. do you think that is? Why do you think there is that, like, vulnerability within queer poets? Why do you think that's so heightened? I think the page allows us to be who we are without judgment. So when you're writing your thoughts, it's not like the page is calling you a fag or anything. So it's just there to kind of take on everything that you have and is just so accepting because it is a piece of paper, it is a laptop screen. It's not going to necessarily judge you for the truth that you have to say or type. And I think that's why so many queer people find themselves in books or in writing as opposed to just like speaking to people and then discovering it. A lot of the times they realise they're queer because they've read a character who is queer. Yeah, and I think it's a lot easier to write down the truth, I think, than to speak it. I love that about the page being accepting. The page will um, take anything that you, you write and using that as a way to find your truth or express yourself. Yeah, I love how you described that. Thank you. Um, all right, we're actually going to hear some of your poetry now. Um, I've already heard it, and it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> it's really. so good. So there'll be a little mini moments pause, and then we'll hear the poem. Okay, thank you. I am thrilled to be up close and personal in the bathrooms of New Union on Canal Street. I am here with Jay Mitra for... Jay, if you found £50 on the floor of this toilet right now, what would you do with it? Well, I'd probably pick it up, but feel really grossed out about picking it up. Mm -hmm. But then I'd probably buy it around for my friends. Yeah, nice. So actually, you're not going to buy it for any of us here. No, I'm sorry. You're going to no, save it. going to save it. <laughs> no, I agree, I agree. Uh, what is your go-to queer outfit? Well, it really varies because there's like two sides of me. There's one where I just look like a typical trans mask dude where I just wear oversized everything. <laughs> um, and then the, on the other end, I just wear like shiny black things. So like latex, PVC... But that's when I'm like, out, out. <laughs> so. Like, are you out? Are you out, out, out? I feel like that's like a trans mask binary mm. of like baggy 
or shiny latex. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's it. And do you have a queer crush? Mm. I mean, my queer crush has always been Angelina Jolie. Fair. So, Fair. Uh, ever since I was like 14, 15, like I've just been a little bit obsessed with her. So. Um, and she's bi, and not many people actually know that she's bi. So, she? I yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah, so. And she's done quite a few like lesbian films as well, mm. so. I had no idea that she was bi. Yeah, she was, she's oh, bi. Right. <laughs> and what would you graffiti on this toilet door for queers to read in years to come? If you had to write something on here so that the person using this bathroom would see it, what would you put? I'd probably put something directed at brown queers, so mm. like brown queers, your chosen family awaits you, like something that. like that. So brown queers, your chosen family awaits you. Jay Mitra, lifting the lid. Lift the lid, lift the lid, lift the la 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 lid. Please can I have a round of applause for Jay Mitra. Before finishing was the way it was meant to be. A suspension between pleasure and the exhale of relief. At first you held it to your thighs, like it said to on the tin. Promote strength and luster and flow in blood and lymph. Out the packaging, you thought. It looked just like a whisk. To be eggs, or in your case, soft meat was at risk. A feeling down there flutters. Tremors melt tightness. A light bulb in your brain turns up to full brightness. You decide to grab a book, the text with the dirty bits, the one you hide under your bed, for fear they'll find the tits. You've memorized the page, you've been here before, but now this tension terminator will kick down your back door. You hold it to your cock clip, lay back like a king. Let it sit there on top of you like a rather clunky ring. You start to experiment, slide it up and down. Scream as loud as you want, there's not a single soul around. There's no gender in this moment, no need to put up a face. Just you and the machine in this climax race. Each euphoric yell cracks the air. The yoke of pleasure drips drips between your thighs and your glistening hips. Massager works for your bits. Your bum, your clit, your tits and dick. You lazy fuckers can get yourself off. With a mere flick of a switch. Jamie, everybody! 
Thank you so much. Oh, quite hot, absolutely gorgeous. Um, thank you so, so much for coming down tonight. Thank you to the New Union for hosting us. Thank you to Zeph and Ian on tech. Thank you to Serial for our theme song. Thank you to Campbell X. And thank you to Jay Mitra. Thank you so much. Keep it queer. Good night. Uh, so I'm thrilled to be joined here in the bathroom of the New Union on Canal Street with Campbell X up close and personal for Lifting the Lid. Lifting the Lid, Lifting the Lid, Lifting the la 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 so here we are. Now, we're in the loose here. Campbell, do you have a favourite bathroom? If you think about all the ones you've been in, um, it could be a queer space, could not be. What's your, like, favourite? Uh, I think my favourite bathroom... I don't know why. That's a flush. Maybe we just knew... Oh, that you... oh, no. oh. Didn't wash his hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, <laughs> is the Soho Hotel mm. in London. Um, really nice bathrooms. Just, they're, they're plain. There's nothing fancy about them. But mm. I know when I go there, it's nice. And I don't like to go to places that have mm. horrible bathrooms. I thought they would be quite swanky. No, nah, they're not. They're not? Okay. No, nah, they're not. They're not swanky. They're just very clean which is what I like. Yeah, okay, nice. Uh, that's important. Um, okay, I've got some, like, would-you-rathers here. Would you rather only be able to whisper or only be able to shout? Whisper, I think, because mm. when you whisper into somebody's ears, it's quite intimate mm. and close. You can it's smell them. And close. You can smell them. <laughs> okay, would you rather speak to animals or know other people's thoughts? I don't want to know people's thoughts. <laughs> I'm scared of my own thoughts, so <laughs> I want to speak to animals, please. Okay. Uh, would you rather stay in or go out for a date? Ooh. Well, if it's a first date, I'd rather go out because then it's safe for the person. Mm -hmm. You know, they can run away if they want to, or I can run away. Mm -hmm. um, that's never happened, by the way. Nobody's ever run away on the first so, date with me. Going out for a first date. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like a good plan. Okay, would you rather be the smartest person or the funniest person? I am the smartest person. <laughs> you are. That's very true. I don't even know why I bothered asking that. Um, okay, uh, if you found £50 on the floor of these very toilets, what would you do with it? First... Uh, wash it and then drinks on everybody. All right. Drinks for, drinks for everybody. Okay, last question. What would you graffiti on this toilet door for queers to read in years? Oh, actually, doesn't have a door. So, <laughs> what, what would you graffiti on this toilet tiles here? Beautiful yeah. tiles. <laughs> which they have which, actually which, been done up. Yeah, which we wiped off in there. <laughs> okay, no, it's permanent. You're going to engrave I'll, it. I'll, I'll etch it. Yeah. What um, would you etch uh, into this wall for queers to read in years to come? Do you know what? Have good sex. It is a cure for any kind of internalised trans and homophobia. Enjoy your gorgeous, gorgeous bodies. I love that. Enjoy your gorgeous bodies. Have good sex. This has been Lifting the Lid with Campbell X. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It made me think a little more deeply about the quote-unquote cis-trans binary 
and what Campbell was saying about dissolving that, dissolving that binary to liberate everybody. I loved Jay's very intimate poem and felt like real radio cabaret. And finally, that sentence that I couldn't remember from Campbell is this, which I'll leave you with now. An ambition to not feel shame about who we were and just to claim everything we are. All right, thanks for listening. Take good care and see you soon. The Perverts Podcast was created by Milk Presents and I was joined by the wonderful Jay Mitra and Campbell X. The Perverts Podcast is produced by Ruby Glaskin and She Wants a Dog, letting podcasts off the lead and was recorded at the historical and ever-surprising New Union Hotel, Canal Street. Our sound design is by Ian Armstrong and the theme music is composed and performed by Serial Davis. Huge thanks to TransCreative and TransVegas for supporting the podcast and to the New Union for hosting us. If you like the Pivots podcast, please do share and shout about it. You might also like a couple of other podcasts produced by She Wants a Dog, such as A Practical Guide to Death and Sick Babe, which are both well worth a listen. You can find these and more at shewantsadog.com or follow at shewantsadog. It's the Pivots podcast.